Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Movies, and I'm Jason Connell. On the show today, I'm joined by special guest, Jake Futernick. Jake, welcome aboard. I'd just like to say this is uh, my first time ever on a podcast, so I'm official podcast virgin. No yes. longer. I've heard them. I've dreamed about being on them before, but this is the first time I've actually done it. So very excited to be here. You've heard of podcasts before? That's good. I've heard of them, yes. There was like a time though where I did, didn't know what they were. Same thing with like the cloud. I was like, I hear people talking about the cloud, but I don't know what this thing is. Right. Now in, in 2020, I know what the cloud is. I know what a podcast is. I feel like I'm pretty up to date on things. Well, I'm happy you joined me in the podcast world. So as the listeners may or may not know, probably not, we're on the same soccer team, the LA Knights. Shout out to my beloved team. And you're a fellow documentary filmmaker. So true. And film lover. And film lover. So very fitting, the trifecta that we're making this happen. And the movie we'll be discussing today is To Live and Die in LA, the 1985 William Friedkin action crime drama, also written by William Friedkin and Gerald Petovich. And so, Jake, what I usually do is I very quickly give the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes ratings, if you will release date, and a little few things on the film before we kind of jump into the meat of it. All right. So the ratings for this movie is 7. Can I guess? Oh, yeah, man. I'm sorry. I'm going to guess Rotten Tomatoes is um, 78%. So no, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty fresh. 7.3 on IMDb. Absolutely. I mean, this movie came out November 1st, 1985. And Jake, it still works. This movie absolutely still works. Now, I always like to say where I first saw the movie, and obviously you as well, I did not see this movie until on DVD in my late 20s or early 30s, believe it or not. Something about this movie must be uh, for Universal, because I'm exactly the same way. I didn't grow up watching The Exorcist horror movies. I didn't really know who William Friedkin was, and then I found out about him. And yeah, it was kind of mid to late 20s, living in Los Angeles. Great title, as we'll get into. But yeah, I was sort of exploring his catalog, getting into it. And this is a lesser known movie, but uh, has a lot of things going on. So yeah, I'd heard about it for a while. Loved the title. Remember as a kid seeing like a postcard of it? I guess I was 14. I didn't know anyone in it. And it just kind of missed my radar. And I, I'm kind of glad. Sometimes you miss a movie and there's a gem sitting there. And that's part of the reason behind this podcast is to hopefully shed light on a movie that either someone's never seen or to finally go watch it again. I was uh, six years old when this movie came out. So yeah. it was a little over my head for the, totally. the material yeah. that was covered. Yeah, I should have seen it. But however, I was happy to finally embrace it and... Now here we are talking about it on a podcast because since seeing it, I've seen it like every few years since then, I've recommended it countless times and we'll get into some of the reasons why. Well, I've only seen it twice. I think I've seen it once the first time and then once again for this podcast, but it did not disappoint. So Perfect. So let's do the budget. Since you like guessing, why don't you give me your thought on the budget? Budget, 1985. I'm going to go with $12 million. Cut it in half and you'll be there. Six. 
It was relatively low budget. It is budget. There is a lot of scenes in the movie where I'm like, uh, some guy is just holding the camera here. There's no steady cam. There's no second take. Yeah. There's exactly. just some shaky. It's a little low budget, but it's got a great cast. A lot of people well before their time. Exactly. And so the basic synopsis for this film is a fearless Secret Service agent will stop at nothing to bring down the counterfeiter who killed his partner. That's a pretty accurate representation, I would say. There's a lot more going on, though, than just that. A lot more. Well, this is just off IMDb, real basic, one sentence. I throw it in here in case someone wants to know. And to your point, though, the cast was fantastic. And for most of them, before their time, you had William Peterson in the lead, who played Richard Chance. He went on to do Manhunter, Fear. He was in a thousand CSIs. You had super young Willem Dafoe, who played Eric Rick Masters. I like that he has two first names. I never heard Eric referred to as Rick before. That was a new one for me. Yeah. I was like, who's, who's this Rick guy they're talking about in the movie? And I'm like, oh. And then you just wind up calling him Masters. His last names are fantastic. Chance, Masters. And then he would go on to do Platoon next, which obviously catapulted him to So stardom. he was kind of unknown at the time of the making of this movie? He hadn't done anything that big? He had done a couple of smaller movies, but I think working with Freak and being in this, I'd venture to say that helped get him Platoon. And then John Pankow, I don't know if you recognize him or not. I definitely recognize him. I don't know why I watched Mad About You when I was like nine years old, but for whatever reason it was on. And uh, yeah, that's all I know him from. That's it. But he's great in this movie. I thought he looks like someone else. I thought he was a character from like Aliens or Commando or predator or one of those like 80s action movies and then i looked him up on imdb and i'm like no that's just the guy from mad about you that was the weird friend he thought he was lance hendrickson or something who's in terminator and aliens sure he kind of he looks like a generic guy but then i just thought it was weird also that it's the guy from quantum leap that's the lawyer like it's too well, dean stockwell is fantastic but it's too like highly recognizable characters from major franchises that will happen 20 years later so every time they're in a scene together, you're like, this is kind of weird, even though it's not weird at the time. That's true. It's a good point. Now, Dean Stockwell also did Paris, Texas, the amazing Vin Vendors film. And there's another character in here who would go on to do huge things. And I know you recognize him as well, was John, John Turturro. Turturro. Epic. Unbelievable. Epic er, early John Turturro role. <laughs> Playing Carl Cody. And he would go on to do Do the Right Thing, Barton Fink, Quiz Show, Rounders, and so many more things. I mean, I mean, his best role ever, Jesus in the Big, Big Lebowski. Let's not forget that one. Of course. Come on. Big Lebowski. Absolutely. So now as far as the crew, of course, it was William Friedkin, who had won an Oscar for Best Director of the French Connection and was nominated for another Oscar for Exorcist. The Exorcist. Yeah. That was another one also. I Like I said before, I never watched horror movies as a kid. Completely missed that one. I had never seen it and watched it as an adult, which was interesting to watch a great oh, yeah. movie, but a little dated yeah. 30 years after it's released or whatever. And some of the other films he did included, which I know neither you or I have seen, and that needs to change, is Sorcerer. Never seen it. Blue Chips and I've Killer that Joe, one. among other films. Oh, the others are great. Those are great. Young Shaq. Started his Young acting career. Shack. Yeah, that was a good film. And then I kind of want to do a quick uh, shout out to the cinematographer, Robbie Mueller, rest in peace, 
But his credits beyond this film included Repo Man, Paris, Texas, so him and Dean Stockwell reconnected. He also did Barfly and Breaking the Waves. I mean, he was a very prolific cinematographer. Barfly and what was the first one you said? Repo Man. Yeah, Repo Man. I mean, those are two gritty, dark movies. And that's kind of what I like about this one, To Live and Die in LA, is it is not glossy. It is not anything close to the uh, glamorous side of Hollywood or Los Angeles. It is a little gritty and dark. And it's a classic 80s action movie that so many action movies now, they just have all this gloss and crazy camera work and effects and badass fighting. I mean, this is just kind of some underworld people doing underworld shit and we're along for the ride. Totally. And now do you know why I thought of you? I knew this would be a good fit. This is unapologetic. It's gritty. It's dark. It's got this great pace and style. I knew that it would be up your alley. I wasn't sure if you had seen it. So I'm very happy to have you on this journey. So the soundtrack was done by a very 80s band. Wang Chung. That's my question. They were a little before my time you grew up with them. Was it too much Wang Chung for you by the end of the movie? Or did you just like it all the way through? So... I thought it was great. I do not remember them scoring anything. So I said soundtrack and I was getting to the point where they were the composers. Oh, it is the Wang Chung movie, like unofficially. I mean... Yeah, I I was just segueing into soundtrack. They composed this movie. No, and I don't think so at all. Now, they reprised the number one track in the movie a few times, which I'll talk about very quickly. So freaking upon hiring Wang Chung said, no matter what you do, do not create a song with the film's title in it. So what did they do? They went off and made a song called To Live and Die in L.A. Freaking listened to it, loved it, put it in the film. Can we just also talk about this movie for a second that it's one of those weird movies where the title is almost like as important as anything else in the movie. And it's like kind of one of those things like, oh, have you ever seen this movie? Haven't heard of it. It's kind of obscure, but everyone's kind of heard that phrase. It's also a Tupac song, if you're uh, unfamiliar. It's also a podcast, like a mystery murder podcast, very popular, came out last year. So yes, the title gets used quite often. Well, the movie starts with a song called To Live and Die in LA. Right. And then they show it in the beginning, like each word. And then they show To Live and Die in LA again, like all together. And at the very end of the movie, they also show the title again. Like, you think that was freaking? Like, he just loved this term, this idea, and he just wanted it in there as much as possible? Yeah, I guess so. And it's not actually the very beginning. It's after the opening sequence, but you're right. Okay. So after two, three minutes of So we'll get into that. We're about to jump into the scenes. But yeah, I think he was obviously, he was an early adopter to the phrase, probably fell in love with it and really wanted to hammer the point home. Where did that phrase or title come from? Now that I don't know. When I, we meet Friedkin, this will go on our hit list of questions because it's a good question. Like, where did the title come from? See, I'm imagining some, like, some, you know, classic Hollywood early directors, crazy night out. Someone mentions this phrase, I got to make a movie about it. And here we are talking about it 40 years later. That's my guess. Could be wrong. And we're also talking about the director that did The French Connection. So I think sometimes. He likes a title when it really has. I mean, you know, the, Exorcist, the Exorcist. That's it's uh, right on the. It's right on the nose. Yeah, Exorcist you know? is you know, it's two words, but it's really just one. But it's iconic. Blue chips. Yeah. Killer Joe. I mean, that's just who he is. He's just going to tell you what it is, and that's that. He's hearing him talk. I've heard him interviewed 
countless times. He is unapologetic. He has his beliefs and he's hard to work with. I've heard of actors had lots of issues with him on various films, but that's who he is. And I like it. I like that he stands up and says, yeah, we're going to make this movie. And that's what's going to be. You're going to live and you're going to die in LA and I'm not going to back away from it. And that's his freak. Who do you think it's referring to though? Everybody, the main character, the villain? I think everybody. I think the bigger themes and not the spoiler alert here, but yeah, I think it's everybody. Everybody in this world. Well, really only two people in the movie. Well, three die, but really only no, two main three. ones. Two main ones die. There's a lot more than three. Well, two main ones, yes. And then you got some... Peripheral. Three or four peripherals. All right, so let's jump in. Here we go. Now, Jake, what cracked me up was, I'm not sure of the necessity for this timestamp, but there is one. It's December 20th, 1410 hours. And if you notice throughout the movie, you get, you know, timestamps or day stamps and the font's different. That was kind of interesting. It kept changing. But for whatever reason, we need to know it's December 20th. And the opening sequence is Secret Service detail for President Reagan, who's visiting L.A. And I guess they're at the Beverly Hilton. And Chance spots a shake. I guess that's like insider terminology for Secret Service. Something's going down. It's a little clunky. Like, what's going on? It's a lot clunky. It's a lot clunky. The whole first scene is so weird where... Yeah, it's about suicide bombers. I don't know why the guy's on the roof, though. Like, what are you going to blow up if you're on the roof? That didn't really make sense. Well, I think he's going to dive down and go into wherever Reagan's speaking. I think that's the plan. He's going to crawl down and and come in. No, I think he was tying up a a rope to lower himself down. Correct detective that he was. He found him on the roof. He foiled the plot. But yeah, to me, it was just kind of weird. I mean, it set up his whole hotshot lifestyle. He's saving the president. He's jumping off bridges. But it was just kind of a non sequitur. It was like, all right, we're going to have some international terrorism, try to kill the president. We're never going to revisit this in the movie. We're over and done with it. Like, that was that. Just that's going to set us up. We're on no crazier things from there. Well, I like how Jimmy, before we move on past that, Jimmy, his partner, the older partner, comes climbing up the building. How in the heck did he know to go to the building and climb up. Yeah, and it then just re- where they, con- crazy. they confront him on the roof and it's like, it doesn't make sense that there's a giant spotlight yeah. shining on him and you're like, where's the spotlight coming from? And it's not the best beginning. I always tell people, if you watch it, get past the opening. It's kind of like The Room. The Room it had two weird Skinamax sex scenes in the first 20 minutes and once you get past that, you get to the real gold. Yeah. It was like that. That's true. So... It was an Islamic terrorist. He does get blown to smithereens. And then I love that Jimmy, the partner, sits on the roof and just says, getting too old for this shit. I did write that down. What year that did the first- That is so funny. So the first Lethal Weapon came out in 87. Okay, so You that know, they it. saw this and were like, that's Murtaugh. Well, Danny Glover will be that guy. No, because there's a couple things in this movie that are like tried and true- staples of the genre but it seemed like i'm not saying it it broke ground and started this but there's definitely some stuff in there that you're like i've seen this a thousand times but maybe this is maybe not the first but this the second or the third or the fourth time that they kind of went with this trope yeah it seemed very cliche to me then i realized it probably started here so you got to give it some credit but that leads us to the montage of what you earlier spoke about and now it's montage of L.A. and money counterfeiting culture to the Wang Chung track. Okay, yeah. To me, that's when the movie really starts. Let's just forget yeah. about 
the terrorists. Totally agree. He had nothing to do with anything. But you had to raise the stakes. You had to show Chance working. This is what he does. Yeah, but we get Otherwise, plenty, you think he's just... We get plenty of chances to see how crazy Chance is. Like, that is True. almost the overriding theme of the whole movie. And then you have Rick Masters, Willem Dafoe, and he's burning paintings. Classic 80s tortured artist. Totally, man. He needed a cure song on or something. Because he was just, yeah, very I think it was tortured. Just a, it was a weird like B-side Wang Chung. It really is just a lot of Wang Chung. Yeah. Wang Chung tonight. So <laughs> That song is not in it here, though. No, it's not in there. Next, we see Chance on top of a bridge. And he's, you don't really know what's going on, but surely he's not going to kill himself. To me, it was Bungie, but it's the strap is hidden within his pant leg and you couldn't really tell. But that is one tiny ass rope because when they show that scene, you're like, this dude is just jumping off a bridge with nothing. And then he kind of magically stops and doesn't die. But yeah, that scene's pretty wild. Unlike a bungee where you go down, you catapult up and he just kind of slowly goes down. He's not too far from the water. He's not too far at all. But everyone on the bridge cheers. So you know that, you know, this is this maniac daredevil. Secret Service guy. So they head to the bar to celebrate as Secret Service guys do. And now we hear Jimmy talking more about retirement and blah, blah, blah. And and I like the fact that- That means that Jimmy's going to die. Any cop oh, yeah, that talks never about good. retirement means With they're the going to die they're almost going to die. The exceptional lethal weapon. So he never died, Murtaugh. No, no, but almost died. You get in a lot of danger. I like to reference also Falling Down quite a bit where- Oh, that's a great movie. What's the actor's name? I'm blanking. Michael Douglas? No, no, no. The other guy, the old cop, the guy who's going to retire. Oh, uh, Robert Duvall. There you go. But uh, then there's the cop that gets shot, you know, in the shoulder, like Robert Duvall in Falling Down, where he gets hurt, but he survives. So he gets to be there for his wife. And then you got, yeah, Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon, where he just always talks about getting shot or dying or being too old, but he never actually is too old for the shit. Now, they are making a new Lethal Weapon with Richard Donner and the original cast, so this could be it for Danny Glover. He, he might finally be too old. I mean, he's he's going to pull like uh, Harrison Ford in the last Star Wars. They're finally going to kill him off. So I like the fact that Chance also wears number 52 of the Steelers, which is Iron Mike Webster. Another little thing about his personality. This is who he is. He's a guy on the edge. He's into the Iron Mike Webster. He's just kind of that guy against the grain, driving his old partner crazy. He's driving his old partner to retirement is what he's doing. That's who Chance is. He's driving his old partner to death. He dies. Exactly. Exactly. He dies real, real bad. So we find out Jimmy's got three days left on the job and, you know, they're leaving the bar. He gives him what? He gives him like a fishing lure as an early retirement present, if you will. And I kind of like in the background, Jake, you know, having made a documentary about movie extras, I tend to like look at things going on in the peripheral. And you got some old guys playing checkers underneath the tree, which really cracked me up. And then as Chance leaves, he gets in his truck through the passenger door. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> I totally... I was like, what is he doing? Yeah, I was he still just gets reeling the from the door. suicide bombing scene. I had no idea. Yeah, I, I understand. I, on your fifth viewing, you'll start to see these things that are there. So next we get, with all intents and purposes, we get a counterfeiting lesson and it looks really good. Yeah. What other great counterfeiting movies are there? I was trying to think. I mean, this is, it's definitely a crime that's committed, but there's a million bank robbery movies, million hostage movies. Name another counterfeiting movie. 
This is the quintessential counterfeiter movie. I mean, it's been talked about in a movie. I've never seen it done like this. Here's what you do. You're paying this. You get the serial number. Never. And but I've this never is also what I like about 80s movies is like a montage was just kind of like a bunch of shots that they put together. Like, sure, there's, you know, Rocky Four, like the greatest 80s montage of them all. Some real effort was put into that. But in the 80s, like nowadays, if you make a movie and you're like, oh, we're going to break into a bank, we're going to counterfeit this thing, we're going to hack into the system, like you got to have all these crazy shots and camera moves and fancy high tech shit. In the 80s, you just put a bunch of shots together in like under a minute and you got a montage. And that's like, it's one of the great things about it. I mean, there's obviously, it's hard to say 80s, there's better montages than the 80s, but also some of them are so simple and half-assed and like... This is a good one, but they kind of just like, yeah, this is how you make some uh, counterfeit bills. Jake, the budget was only $6 million. They had to just do the montage <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and knowing freaking, he's like, done, let's move on. I got my montage and it worked. And it really showed us something that I, I've not seen since then. Well, also, you know, the 80s is, is, it's a lot harder to make counterfeit bills now. I think they got plastic in them. They got strips. They got... Yeah. It was a little easier back then. So, you know, that's the beauty of looking at these movies back in time. Like a lot of totally. things would not be... There's so many movies that if they just had a cell phone, like the whole movie wouldn't work. And even yeah. now they'll put movies in the past because yeah. they're like, hey, if you just call this guy and tell him not to do this, then the movie's over. Right. Exactly. So now Jimmy, two days left. Jake, I don't understand this. I don't know why he's doing this, but you got two days left before retirement, but you're going to go do a solo scout mission to see if you can maybe get this counterfeiter that's out there. I know you don't like me jumping ahead, but this movie is not a movie about backup. Cops do what they do on their own throughout no, the movie. Right. And we'll get into you're this right. later. No, I know this, you're absolutely right. This but, plays a pivotal role in the, but this is the first the time we saw it. So it's just crazy. It's crazy. Take chance with you. That's a guy you need just in case some shit goes down, you know? But he doesn't. He goes out there, and this leads to a pretty gruesome death. Courtesy uh, I would go, of... I would go with highly gruesome. Like, I don't know who Highly did. gruesome. And I don't know who did the special effects for this movie. There's a lot of squibs and, you know, a little yep. blood on the shirt. Like, there looks like there's a hole in this dude's head when he takes a shotgun totally. blast to the head. A lot of gunfire to the head in this film. Yeah, to the head and the dick. I'll just say later, there's there's two direct shots to the head that leave like gaping wounds. And another dude gets shot right in the dick from point blank range. Yeah, not good. So basically, Jimmy was snooping around where he wasn't supposed to be. Comes across Rick Masters and his sidekick Jack, the badass. And they blow him away. And that's it. You know, we're out. And the next thing we know... Master's hideouts being raided by Chance and company because they're looking for Jimmy. And I like how they come running out and, you know, they cut the lock and they go in and the next lock, Chance just shoots. So he shoots, they, they have cutters, but he, he shoots off the lock. Could have ricocheted and hit anybody. Hilarious. And they go in and all they see is a poker chip. And I guess, Jake, that says it all. And this line of work that the Secret Service do, you see a couple poker chips in a dryer, you know what's going down. Yeah, I thought the Secret Service mostly protected presidents. Counterfeiting is their other main jurisdiction. Yeah. Who knew, right? I feel like that's like an FBI job. I don't think the Secret Service needs to find counterfeiters. Yeah, I never knew. I, I had no idea until I saw this film. But also, just to go back to Jimmy, like this is just a funny, it's a movie that like, 
it does not care about the fallout from what happens. Like, is there a funeral for Jimmy? Nope. Does anyone ever mention Jimmy in the rest of the movie? No. Nope. Well, he does mention him when Chance finds Jimmy's body, which is in the dumpster. On the, yeah, that's like the next scene. Thing. But No, but it's the, right then and there. But he says it later because he's driven more than ever to get masters. He's, okay, I missed, but he's driven, I missed that part. He does mention it a couple of times. But there, yeah, there's no talk of he had a pension. He had a wife. We don't know Jimmy's backstory. We know nothing about Jimmy. We just Although he didn't make retirement. For uh, Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. He paved yeah. the way. That's all we know. Yeah, exactly. So Chance... After that ordeal with Jimmy, he's pretty distraught. So he goes back to his house. We find out he lives in a nice little place on the beach. Probably doesn't know what to do. So Vukovic comes to visit Chance. They're not partners yet, but he's been around. He knows what he's dealing with. And Chance tells him that Masters killed Jimmy. He knows. He knows right then and there. He already had a hard-on for Masters, and now it's revenge. And that's what drives Chance. That's why he's so irrational at times. He was probably already irrational, but now all bets are off. Okay, so Jimmy dying is what put him over the edge. So if that was he it. does have a point, he didn't die for He's nothing. made it personal. He, he made it personal. sacrificial lamb. No, no, by no means. Now, Jimmy shouldn't have died, nor he should he have gone out there on his own, but no. Yeah, because I, once again, I'm going to jump ahead. But yeah, Chance is fully unhinged at the end. He is unhinged. out there. That's a good word. It That's kind of what the movie is about, which is weird. Like it takes a whole different turn at the end of the, the end of the movie. But we'll get into that later. So now we're at the Secret Service office and Bateman, played by Robert Downey Sr. That's what I was wondering because I saw his name. I saw his name in the credits and I couldn't remember which character he was. That is Robert Downey Jr.'s father. Yes, and he's gone on to do lots of other movies, and it's great seeing him in this. And he does exactly what I just talked about. He assigns Vukovic as Chance's new partner. Makes sense. So, boom, you got a new partner. Can I fight this? No, not really. Okay, great. Boom. Very yeah, because typical cop movie. Yes, ultimately, that's what the movie is, is a buddy cop movie. It's very dark. It's very 80s. It's very Wang Chung. It's a lot of things. But at its boiled down to its core is a classic buddy cop movie with their different styles yep. and really how it plays out. That's what to me what's interesting about the movie is how it plays out in the final act, second half. And it's kind of like the French Connection. It's a buddy yeah, cop he's, film. I mean, he, one guy's on the edge. You got Roy Scheider's kind of the Vukovic. This is a Friedkin model. We've yeah, seen this before. he shoots him in the back. That's like the most famous part shoots of French Connection. Shoots him in Connection. the back. Exactly. You know, when they do autopsies on cop killings gone wrong, did they shoot him in the front or the back? How are you going to fight back from your back, you know? Exactly. So now, and I like that there's these beats in the movie. This is a great beat. There's another great scene coming up. And he's got a series of these to sprinkle in. And this is the first one. You have Chance and Vukovic, and they're tracking down Carl, played by John Turturro. And they're at LAX, and they're looking for counterfeit bills. And what cracks me up, Jake is that Totoro not only has counterfeit bills, but he is paying for his flight in cash. Talk about the 80s. You show up at the airport, you're booking a flight right then today. and there, and you're you paying for it. You can do that today. You can still okay. do that. What are the percentages of people that do that today? <laughs> less than one. That aren't criminals? Yeah, less than 1%. And so they quickly go up, check out the bills, find out it's counterfeit, and we have a little chase scene at LAX happen, which is kind of cool. And Turturro's 
I don't know where he thinks he's going, but he's trying to get away. It's weird, though, because he's kind of like in some parts of the movie, he's kind of just a lame duck, nothing. In other parts, like he beats the shit out of chance. Like he kind yeah. of goes back and forth between a tough guy and just a random dude. Well, he's a thug. He's a thug. Yeah. He's I a crook. He runs. He gets caught. He beats up. He gets beat up. So he runs to the restroom and hides in a stall, gets up on the toilet, and then comes out and tries to make a last ditch effort. But no. Because Chance is in there. And what's he do, Jake? He fires his gun again. This guy's fired his piece two times. And, and like, there are cops that have never even pulled their gun. We've seen Chance shoot it twice. That's pretty crazy, I would say. Oh, he's got, a lot, more, he's got a lot more crazy shit coming up also. He ain't done. So they catch him. And I like this scene as well, the way it ends, because... Why this is happening, an LAX police officer comes in the restroom and he's like, what's going on? Pulls his gun, of which Vukovic pulls his gun on him. And then there's a guy in the background just says, hey, I was just trying to take a leak. It's a kind of a, that's your only comic relief in the entire film. Just that little moment. And so they've got their guy. And so any thoughts on that sequence before we move on? This was when I was watching it the first time through. I was a little tired. I might have been fading out a little bit on the couch. And <laughs> he, I was like, did you this? miss this scene? <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. I'm just kind of like, all right, yeah, this movie, you know, the cop, he's old. He's going to retire. He dies. Got the crazy guys jumping off bridges. I was very excited to see a young John Turturro, but I was kind of like, where is this movie going? It had been, I mean, 15 years since I've seen it. So I yeah. kind of forgot everything. And then fortunately, I revisited the next day. And really, the second half is where things take off. So for me, it's hard, also hard because you look at some movies and they broke ground at the time, but then a thousand copycats came later. So yeah, it's, it's hard exactly. to look back and see something that's a little bit fresher for what it was. Right. I guess I like this scene because it starts to connect the dots. Like there is a plan at play. He's got a partner. Let's get some of these bills circulating. Let's tie this to Masters. Let's bring down Masters. So I like to see it in motion. And this leads Carl to go to jail. And now you have Masters coming to jail to visit him. And we learn about this guy Waxman, I guess this producer. Okay, we're talking about what you can do and can't do now as opposed to then. Like they just come in and openly discuss their crimes in the right. prison scene. Like, you can still do that now? Like, I... That just seemed weird that they were like, yeah, they're talking through the glass and the warden or whatever, like, bailiff guys off on the side. But they're just fully conspiring about the crimes they've committed, the crimes they're going to commit. Well, and what is no Masters one... doing going to a jail? He's already just killed a Secret Service agent. What's he doing? There's no repercussions in this movie, though. This is a world without... I mean, there's like, yeah, you do you cross someone, they'll kill you down the line. But, you know, you die, there's no funeral. Let's go back to the title. What's it called again? To Live and Die in L.A. That's it. It's, it's one degree away from that, always. You're either alive or you're dead. There's two choices. Exactly. So we learn about Waxman. This, and not that he's a big player, but he's part of this sequence of events. He's a young John Turturro. That's really the most important thing that he no, is. No, Waxman is the other guy. Yeah, oh. John Turturro is Carl. Waxman's Sorry, Carl. the Hollywood producer who's ripped Masters off for $600,000 and blamed it on Carl. That's why Masters went to go talk to him in jail. Hey, where's my money? Waxman said you never showed up. He says, that guy, are you kidding me? I gave it to him. It's in the safe. Yeah, so that, that might be the starts part I was to asleep. put things. 
puts things in motion. So now Masters, a man about town, goes to another meeting. He goes and meets with attorney Grimes, which is Dean Stockwell, and to ask him about Cody. Because Jake, I guess here's Masters thinking, if Carl's stuck in jail, he's going to rat me out. So can I get him out? If I can't get him out, I'll do something else. That's kind of what's in motion. Meanwhile, I would think that Masters is a marked man because Chance already knows he killed his partner and he's gunning for him. But yet he's not worried about that right now. He doesn't even know who Chance is yet. But at this point in the movie also, Rick is, he's kind of the bigger badass of the two. He's kind of like the bad guy. Yes. You haven't seen right. him vulnerable. You haven't seen him bleed. Right. He's kind of like the boogeyman. He's a classic, weird 80s avant-garde artist slash counterfeiter. Has the uh, the weird dance troupe shown up in the movie yet? No, we're They're getting coming. there. That is weird. Super 80s. But we're almost there. So now we have Chance and he's meeting with his informant, who is Ruth Lanier, and he learns about Waxman. So he's got this informant, Jake, that tends to tell him things, and that's how he's getting fed information. So they both learn about Waxman about the same time, and again, just pushing the storyline forward, just pushing things along, which I like. I like something that we're not messing around. Not Unlike the opening scene, now we're on this like. Well, path. the opening scene has action, though. You know, it's it has action and it has purpose because it just shows you what they do. And yes, Secret Service also save, protect the president. We're still not sure about that. We definitely know they protect the president. I'm not convinced they hunt down counterfeiters. Yeah. After this movie, they were taken off the case. (laughs) No, no, I'm pretty sure they do, but we'll get into that later. I know they hired prostitutes in South American countries. I know that Secret Service does that. Okay. All right. So now Masters visits Bianca. At the modern dance class. Jake, what's going on here? I mean, 80s to the max. I don't know why this part is in the movie. Other than being super weird. Freaking was into it. Well, I guess it kind of explains Master's character. He's into this. Did he invest in this? Is, is Bianca not just his girlfriend? It's like he's kind of part of this troupe. Because he is well, yeah, It's a lot of androgynous guy. people with a lot of makeup. Doing a yes. lot of 80s dancing just generally being confusing. And I even like when Masters goes to kiss this person that looks like a guy and there's kind of, it looks like, and which is fine, but at the time, 85, looks like two guys are making out and then she reveals herself to be Bianca with the wig on. And then did you recognize the other person in the room by chance? No, I was other dancer. mostly confused. So the other dancer, Serena, is played by Jane Leaves. And you may recognize her as Daphne from Frasier. It's so weird that there's all these 90s sitcom stars in this movie. Yeah. You got to make She's your money, man. She's never been sexier. You got to get that syndication. Frasier and uh, Mad About You, they're still cashing those And Quantum back. Leap. <laughs> Quantum Leap, I don't know. That one's... Uh, when was the last time you saw that one on TV? I think it was on Netflix not that long ago. No, you're right, though. It's not in the Frasier, Mad About You camp. I agree. Even those are kind of dead, but... They did try to revive Mad About You. They did. That, we don't need to get into that. Both of those shows, just the Frasier's most a great up, show. uptight, rich, lame, white people. Okay. That's another podcast. Jack. That's my review. <laughs> okay. So now Bianca goes to visit Max Waxman. Talk about a Hollywood producer's name. Max Waxman. So she goes over there and starts to come on to him. It's kind of a setup, classic setup. It's raining in LA and it does rain here. 
It does. When it does rain once a year, it rains for five, six straight days, but it's raining. She's coming on to him, setting things up. And of course, across the street, Chance and Vukovic are on a stakeout. They got the church set up. They're going to watch this kind of thing go down. They anticipate Masters will make a, an appearance and they'll get him. What do you think of this scene? Is this the one where the guy gets shot in the dick? <laughs> that's coming. It's setting us up for that. Okay. That, that's yeah, more, yeah. I was just shocked. I was like, yeah. So just, that's a Masters comes in. movie. It's freaking also yes. in general. He seemed to enjoy violence. He loves it. Do we need to go back to his movies again? No, no. No one died in blue chips, but for the most part, lots of violence in his other films. Yeah. So, you know, Killer Joe, Bug, French Connection, Exorcist. It's a theme. But yeah, anyway. so I was more just like, man, this movie is crazy stuff going on, but just really graphic, even for 80s standards. Very well, graphic. Well, speaking of graphic, so Masters comes in. Tries to get Waxman to give him the 600K in the safe. Of course, Waxman doesn't want to do it. Finally succumbs to it because he's got a gun on him. And then they get in a brief fight. And yes, he shoots him right in the family jewels. But I also wonder what this next thing meant. Masters picks up this artifact and says, 18th century Cameroon. Yes. And then goes on to say, you'll taste this in your ass. Now, what was that? Cut. We don't show anything I else. Think you'll taste this in your ass is a threat. I believe that's a threat. That bad thing. He's already been shot. Do. Yeah, okay. Maybe it was just a threat. I didn't know if there was actual follow through on this threat, but. And I think also the fact that he knew it was 18th century, which I kind of wish they would have gotten into a little more was, yeah, Defoe's like weird Keith Haring 80s artist vibe yeah. stuff going on. That they allude to here and there in the movie and definitely the part where he shows up and I think he burns one of his paintings in the very first time we've seen him. Yeah. And we also talked to an art dealer later that thought he was a very talented person and made great work. And at the end of the movie, they kind of proved that like he could have just sold his paintings for a lot of money, which did not make any sense to me is like, I think he's just a criminal. He just kind of had bad intentions. Like he could have been a weird 80s, yes, successful, lucrative artist. But his art was making counterfeit bills and he liked, he had a very vindictive streak also. Like he. That's a good point. You did not want to cross this dude. There could be a prequel or a short film or something. Eric Rick Masters. Yeah, I would like to know more about him, what drives him, because he is this enigma. It's, it, it's such a unique character. And listen, Defoe plays it perfectly. Because Defoe can just embody anything and you believe it. Like, yeah, he is this creepy guy. What movie does Defoe play a normal guy? He's, he looks well, so American weird. Psycho, he actually played a normal guy. He played a cop and he played, very, he played it straight. And I thought, wow, of all the movies to play it straight, but he was going against <laughs> someone crazy. Yeah, who was psychotic. a serial killer psychopath. So, yeah, for the most part, that's not his MO, but he just looks an- so weird. He's such a weird looking guy. And I guess at the time, also, no one, no one had really seen him, you know? Exactly. So while this is going on, while Masters is taking out Waxman, Vukovic has fallen asleep and they've missed the caper. So they run out. Day late and a dollar short. And they're late for the show, but they're driving back to the station and... Chance reveals that he took something from the crime scene, a dealer's code. And Vukovic is not happy, but 
he agrees that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe we could use this to get masters. Like that is it. That's the through line. This is my big question about the film, though, is this is especially the main through line of the second half is that Chance is totally a cop above the law. Like he oh, totally. goes so far off the deep end and they never really delve into it. But like, I get it. It's a movie where if you die, you have no funeral. There's no real consequences. But how would he ever convict anybody on any of the police work he does? Like he commits so many crimes himself, catching the bad guy. That hey, are Secret Service above the law? Is that what we're led to believe here? Nobody is. No, I don't think they are, but they act like they are. No, I agree with you. Well, I think he does because his partner, that's the weird thing. And, you know, I once again, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but his partner kind of takes over his role at the end of the movie. But most of the movie is like him looking at Chance being like, what the hell are you doing? Like, he's not really okay with taking all these risks. And right. I mean, it's fine because the movie never really pauses. Once the dominoes are set up and the wheels are in motion, like everything just goes, yeah. goes, goes. There's no time to think about things. But yeah, if you do pause the movie for a minute at numerous points and you're like, okay, well, how did they take this to trial and how do they convict this guy and how does this work in court? And you just can't do that with this movie. Yeah. No, you can't. He might as well just go shoot masters because you're right. He's setting up a case that he probably can't win. He's breaking every law to do it. And he's just so, getting started. Like he's going to go <laughs> way, way, oh, no. way farther. We're going to get to it where yeah, <laughs> what he did is unforgivable. Absolutely. Even then, though, he doesn't back down. So now Chance visits Ruth and we find out she's not just the informant. She's an informant with benefits. This Full is a frontal. one sex scene. Full frontal Full benefit. frontal. I'm just yeah. like, that's when I was looking at my notes for this movie. Like we had suicide bombers, full frontal nudity, young Willem Dafoe, young John Turturro. People shot in the face. People shot in the dick. There's a lot going on. That was the crazy thing about movies also. I mean, how long is it? 90 minutes, maybe? It's not that long. About almost two hours. Okay. But like... They just go. There's no yeah. long exposition scenes. No. There's no filler. We just move on from set piece to set piece. It's Miami Vice without the flash. But yeah, it has that kind of vibe, but it's not flashy. It's unapologetic and they're breaking every rule. And when I say they, I mean chance. You would want to be Crockett or Tubbs. You don't want to be anybody in this movie. No, no. So I like when he comes in, though. I like Ruth is like, who's that? how many guys just pop in? Like she's just totally like in bed <laughs> naked. And if someone's in her house and it's not, not an uncommon. Well, I think affair. the kind of connotation is that for someone like Chance, he's a fast guy. You need fast women. Like, yeah. you know, they're just, mo most people are driving in the slow lane at 65 miles an hour. These people are going, you know, 98 miles an hour, yeah. weaving through traffic in life. Agreed. Agreed. So Ruth has some more intel, but Chance passes. And now we learn she's on parole. So that's how he's milking her along, getting intel, getting laid. <laughs> I mean, this is Chance's life. He's got no strings. You know, hey, this is easy. So now, and I like this sequence too coming up, this little beats. They're, they're trying to hunt down masters. You have Chance and Vukovic, and they're going after this credit card counterfeiting bust. And it's kind of a nice foot chase scene. Remember this one? Refresh me. Well, they oversee two guys who have a brown bag full of credit cards, not theirs, and they chase them down. And Vukovic is chasing one of the guys. 
And it's kind of funny because the guy's like, man, why are you chasing me? And Vukovic is like, why are you running? And the guy says, because you're chasing me, man, which is I've hilarious. Seen on, I've then, seen that on cops like at least 10 times before. So that's happening. And then the other chase scene is Chance, and he's chasing down the other guy. And that guy is played by Gary Cole. And if you don't know the name, Gary Cole is a pretty well-known actor from the Brady Bunch films, A Simple Plan. He played Lumbar in Office Space. I mean, it's a pretty big moment, but he has just like one or two lines. So it's a very early acting uh, job for Gary Cole, who I happened to run into one time at the Sherman Oaks Castle Park putt-putt. I was on a first date and there was Gary Cole and his family. (laughs) You went on a first date with Gary Cole? Gary Cole and I, yeah, yeah, I beat him, hands down. No, I saw him in line. I was like, hey, that's uh, that's Gary Cole. So, no, it's a good sequence. And so he chances, you know, beating him up and going to throw him off this little bridge and wants to know, you know, he's just trying to get intel on Masters. That's essentially all that's happening. And so now, back to what we said earlier, as much as they're partners, often they just do things alone. That's, this movie does that. You know, you and I are partners, Jake, but I'm going to go do this thing over here and maybe I'll get myself into trouble. But hey, so Vukovic visits an art dealer because he gets some intel and goes to visit him. And and that's how we find out that, you know, Masters is kind of a legitimate artist and had done some work and this guy admired it. So, yeah, I would like to see some of his paintings there. But do you remember the sequence? Yeah, I mean, they never even really show it because doesn't like, I mean, the one he burns is like a weird, like my kid could draw that painting. It's not anything good. And then even at the end of the movie, when they they allude to the paintings, you never actually see them. Right. They could have just picked a random artist. You're right. And then said, hey, this is No, but I think that was also the the 80s. Like there was definitely some people that were successful artists that had no discernible art talent. Well, I have actually bought three masters since uh, this film came out. Three Eric no. Masters original? <laughs> three three Eric Rick Masters. <laughs> I would just, because I think the scene is coming up soon. I just like a framed picture of Willem Dafoe naked in front of the fireplace burning his money. Because I thought that right? was really one of the most iconic shots, shots in the whole movie. And really didn't make any sense. There's a lot of sort of unnecessary nudity. A lot of it Total involving Willem Dafoe. Male nudity at that. So now Masters visits Jeff Rice. And I've always liked this actor played by Steve James. Rest in peace, Steve James. He was in The Warriors, Hollywood Shuffle, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. And he's at a basketball court and he hires him to kill Carl for 75K. And not 75K in real money, in counterfeit money. And I like that Jeff kind of says, hey, what's it matter to you? It's funny money anyway. Why does it matter what you give me? But Masters takes it serious. It's like, no, it'll be 75000 in counterfeit bills. And so he hires him because he's going to off him because he's afraid Carl's going to rat him out. So now we're at the prison. And this is a great scene. Because <laughs> I love the way they said the prison and anything with John Turturro is great. And he's, if you're looking around and you're the last guy to know something then you're the mark. And he's like, hey, what's going on here? Everyone's starting to move away. And he's like, someone's going to get hit, man. And they're coming for him. These two guys that Jeff hired are coming to off John Turturro, Carl. And he survives the attack. Lucky guy. I don't think he got hurt. He survives it. The he got stabbed. Break he got, it up. He got, definitely got shanked at least once. Okay, yep. shanked. But he lives. And now he's terrified. 
And Chance goes to visit Carl and offers him parole to help him get masters. Any thoughts Which on Which I'm sequence? not sure he has the authority to do, but we're just going with it. Dude, he's Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> he just shows up with his badge. They can do whatever they want. I'm here to get Carl, and we're out of with here. With the cop in the bathroom scene, he shows him his Secret Service badge, and that just kind of diffuses the situation. Yeah. Did you like this prison yard sequence? I like yes, it. Yes, yes. Because also, it's just like the, the number of things that this movie touches in one movie. Yeah. yeah. It is impressive. So, yes, for that... It's got the whole prison yard mark. And uh, I mean, you know, what was Totoro in before this? Not much. Small things. And then this, I think, I'm telling you, Jake, this was a launching point. For yeah, for a people. lot of people. No, I, I fully get a it. That's what I'm saying. And you're working I'm, with Freakin. So you're working with this Oscar winning director, nominated. He, he made the Exorcist and French Connection. You worked with him? Yeah, so this was they well, were also off and to Charlie, I think he's you know discovering people very like talented is, though. Willem Dafoe is just so weird to look at that he's captivating, and then Totoro with his mannerisms and his energy, like just having him on screen, you want to see more of him. So exactly, and he's super talented. You saw it. He had this little role. He could have played anybody in this movie. I'll tell you what, the casting director and obviously William Freakin, great casting. They did an amazing job on casting this film. Yes. So now Masters goes to visit Jeff because he failed to kill Carl. And this leads to a pretty good fight. There's like some weird light karate in this moment. Oh, yeah. That one guy does a nice spinning back kick. I was like, where would that come from? Yeah, because they have guns. Like they are criminals. They have guns. And he's got the old knife, the knife belt. I like that. The little, yeah. The little little shank. Something a ninja would have. But then, like, quickly the guns, like, they get dropped on the ground and, like, there's nowhere real else in the movie where anyone's doing any kung fu fighting. But this scene is kind of like a weird kung fu scene. There's definitely some spinning kicks and, like, a lot of punches being thrown. And Jeff and his friends, he has two friends with him, they had the upper hand on Masters as well as Jack, who was there. We don't know much about Jack, but he's a gangster. And they had the upper hand and then it churns. And then, of course, what happens? Jack shoots Jeff's friend. In the face. Right in the face. Right in the face. Masters shoots Jeff, but doesn't kill him, as far as we know. Body wound. And then he gives him the cash. He's like, you better give me that. I guess it's 37 and a half thousand. It's half the 75. Yeah. And so we cut to the scene, what you just talked about, where you've got the lady up on the chase lounge you have a naked masters and he's just putting the 30 plus k in the fire and saying that this money's no good now that those guys touched it does that make yeah, why any why sense did, at all i didn't i think that was like the tortured artist part of him where yeah he like this money he, this counterfeit money's not pure anymore i i do not understand this i love this movie but this is just where it gets into a little bit like I like feel like Friedkin loved the symbolism of like yeah. a naked Willem Dafoe at the fire with his lover in the background burning money, but it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like if you, no. and that's the whole movie. It's like the sun. You can't look at it too closely. You just kind of got to keep going, keep going, and then you're on to yeah. the next. But it is iconic. Like if if anyone, if you were to talk to anybody about this movie. You just be like, oh, yeah, to live and die in L.A. And then you'd probably say like to live and die in L.A. like four times because it's a good title. And then you could just kind of say like, oh, yeah, Willem Dafoe, you know, burning money in front of the fireplace. And then you just kind of wink and that's John Turturro. 
Yeah, High you, five. Uh, you could throw that in one. <laughs> I would just go with, you know, Defoe by the fireplace and maybe, you know, wink. And There's a different scene that I would reference, but I won't get into that yet. But it's coming up. This but is, that, I, here's that is probably I've, my favorite scene of the movie. It didn't make any sense. And that's kind of the beauty of the movie is it doesn't always make sense. Right. But it's very captivating. And that is a captivating scene that yes. unfortunately doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, one thing I've learned about Defoe Masters is that he likes to burn things of value or perceived yes. value. That's what I've learned. The tortured villain that has an artistic side that was never explored and now they're just killing people. I feel like John Lithgow played a role like that at least once or twice. Yeah, I guess Lithgow in Blowout is a pretty interesting character. And this is, an, this is a good character, but we, we don't know where he comes from. We accept it and it makes no sense. This scene definitely shows just what a badass Rick Masters is. Like, he'll go into these hardcore gangsters' house. There's five of them. There's two of them. And he's just going to kick their ass. Like, three of them. Close enough. You know what? And to get money that he's just going to go burn. Like, wow. He could have said, fuck it, Jeff. Keep the money. But no, I'm going to come get it. That's the whole, you know, subtext of the movie is that money has value, but he creates it falsely. So it's this false value. And it's all about the 80s of this sort of vapid culture and materialism. And that's why, like, you know, here's where I feel like the movie starts to shift. Where like, and we'll get into what he does, but Chance almost becomes the villain in the second half. Like, he just goes from the deep end into the abyss. Like, he is... Yeah, who's worse? Yeah, that's that was my big underlying thing is, like, Rick is definitely a criminal and Chance is the law. But who is a worse person in the movie? And like, I think they're both Rick equally is, bad. But Rick is more, he's cold, he's calculating, he's murderous, he will kill you, he will do whatever it takes. Chance is just out of control. He is just yeah. like, he's kind of like Johnny Utah's character in Point Break. Point Break, yeah. But turned up to 11. Like, he has no family, no girlfriend. I mean, he kind of has a girlfriend, but... Yeah, we'll get into what he does to her later, but like he has nothing holding him down, and he truly like spirals out of control at the end of the movie. I think Jimmy really helped keep him on the tracks. Why? What the hell did Jimmy do other than being an old guy named Jimmy? Well, I just kind of see their dynamic, and he looked up to him, and you could tell that he probably just what are you doing? He probably always fathered him, and losing him, that's it. He is unhinged. And so we're seeing so, the they, worst of know, chance. They didn't, they didn't have time for that in this movie. No, they didn't have time for that. They didn't have time for that. Well, you kind of see their dynamic. He was obviously the alpha to him. Jimmy was, you know, top dog. Chance was there, but he was ready to take over any minute. He was probably going to turn to this guy eventually, but what happened led this to happen. Right I could now. see that. And then definitely, what's his partner's name again? Vukovic? Vukovic. Vukovic. He's the second potato. Exactly. Exactly. And then he... And then it kind of, the baton gets passed. So now Chance wears a tie and visits Judge Sedillo to get Carl paroled. Now, Judge, played by Valentin de Vargas, rest in peace. He was... He was apparently like an old Western actor or something. Yeah, he was in the Wild Wild West. He was in Mission Impossible, the TV show, and lots of old stuff. And Jake, I found this out as well. Born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, my hometown. I just saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to give him a shout out. But he's great in this sequence. This exchange between the judge and Chance, I actually really liked it. 
That was a really good scene that was, I would almost venture to say it's probably realistic. He storms off in a huff and then he says something and the judge brings it back and then he gives him what he wants. But I like how he, the judge says the one thing you can't do is let this prisoner go. What's the first thing he does when he gets custody of him? Right he away. lets him go. Right away. <laughs> but so, this is where Totoro is a badass because he beat the shit out of him. Yes, absolutely. You're right. So the next scene, Chance goes to get Carl out of prison on parole. And Carl, I got to say, pulls a fast one. It's quick thinking. He has to go see his daughter at the Santa Fe Hospital. Chance thinks he's giving him a line, has someone call, verify that someone's there matching the name, the description of the daughter. They go there and you're absolutely right. In the hospital, he takes the cuffs off and Totoro, Carl, lays him out, beats up Chance in the hospital. He, uh, he healed from that wound though really fast. He has like a huge gash in the next scene on his eye and then the scene after that is gone. Well, if there's one place to get your ass beat, I guess the hospital is probably top of the list. <laughs> so, again, Jake, Chance got beat up because he went on this little mission alone. If he had had Vukovic with him, you know, would have avoided it. To live and die in L.A., parentheses, if you're a cop, always bring backup. Yeah. I think that yeah. should be the full title of the movie. Have your partner. Sure. So, now Vukovic meets with attorney Grimes, who shares that he'll help them get masters. So he is not only master's attorney, he realizes how dirty he is, and he's happy to work with the Secret Service to set up a meeting. For a to price. To kind of put things in motion and for a price. For a price. He is an attorney. <laughs> yes, indeed. For 50 grand, I think, I do believe was his asking price. Oh, that's later. That was when Vukovic gets in trouble. I liked how he was the lawyer kind of playing all sides. That he Yeah. He was very amoral. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a good guy. He just was kind of a guy that knew what everyone was up to. Exactly. I liked him a lot. He's a great actor. In this scene, he wasn't for a price. He's just covering his bets. He's hedging his bets. Like, ah, oh, Secret Service can ask questions. I'm not doing anything wrong. He's a client. How can I help you? Later, though, when he sees him again, yeah, my services are available at 50K. That's the standard. I'll get fee. you off. A year and a half in jail. That's all you have 50, to do. 50K and 85, not bad money. I don't know what that yeah. would have you know, been. Well, we'll we'll get into money because Chase starts needing some money later in this movie and it gets him in some trouble. Oh my God. So Grimes sets up an undercover meeting with Chance and Vukovic and Masters. And so, bam, they're undercover, man. They're meeting with Masters. They got this whole thing. They got fake names. They're Palm Spring guys. Like, are you buying any of this? Yeah. I mean, un deep undercover stuff. Unless that's what the movie's about, no. When you're tossing it in three quarters of the way through, I'm like, all right, this is what's happening. It, it was weird that they're all hanging out together. Right? There they are. <laughs> Here's the guy that he's, he's breaking every rule in the book to get. I like the sequence, though. I like seeing them kind of fill each other out. Then they they have to talk the talk. You know, They want to purchase one million in counterfeit bills. They have their story airtight. And then Master says what? I need 30K up front. And not counterfeit money. I need 30K in cash. This it begins the unraveling of chance. And I was just going to say really quick, they met at the Easton Gym, where I've actually been to before. Nice gym. 
small boutique, but it was kind of cool seeing it in a movie. For, to live and die in LA, there's not a lot of landmarks that are in the movie. And also, oddly enough, it's mostly in Long Beach. Like Chance lives in Long Beach. Like a lot of the movie takes place in there. So should they have called it To Live and Die in Long Beach? I guess not quite the... I was thinking the same thing. I, I remember all the scenes <laughs> that were in Long Beach. But then I started looking. So I did some deep dive on filming locations. And a lot of these nondescript places were in Los Angeles. The church. Sure, sure. But like where Chance lives, it's like by the do like by the big bridge and like the whole But let me go back to an earlier point, six million dollar budget. So they couldn't shut down and do a big <laughs> scene at they were at the Beverly Hilton. No, they're in Long Beach for at least half the movie. I always said the same thing about body double. Like every time they're in this long scene, it's like we're back in Long Beach in Body Double. So yeah. <laughs> But Body Double doesn't have the word Los Angeles in the title. No, it does not. But it's always plain to L.A. You're absolutely sure, sure. right. Another movie that I'll need to have on the podcast. Great Brian De Palma film. Yes, but Chance needs money. And yeah. Chance is not going to get this money in a legal manner by any way. Well, I like how before we leave the gym, I like how Masters says... Oh, this is the weird like sauna scene. <laughs> they go yeah. in depth. Yeah. When you're going undercover, Jake, you go undercover. Dude. You have sauna. to do a sauna with two, three or four other naked men. I'm just curious. Masters is really big on his reputation as a counterfeiter. And I would think like a counterfeiter would want to be really unknown. But he's but he so was an big on... He was an artist. What do, what do artists do? They sign their artwork. Like they... Yeah, it's true. They want the recognition. I think that's, we never get into it. Something, what yeah. happened to Rick Masters' childhood? Like why, yeah. what hole is there that he needs this validation? He zero from? attention. <laughs> <laughs> zero attention. No one liked him. Yeah. Well, his parents like, probably didn't like him. That's the Parents hated him. Most. Said he was, a, he was a horrible artist and he'll never have any money. So I'll show them. I'll do both. Yeah. If you do get to talk to Friedkin... That's what you got to ask him is what is Master's backstory? All right. So now Bateman, the boss of Chase and Vukovic, tells them, you're not getting 30K, 10K is the limit. And by the way, you're missing one parolee. So Chance is just screwing up. He's making deals he can't make and he's losing guys he's getting out on parole. Not good. Meanwhile, Jimmy, who was on this case, already died and nobody cared about that. Like They did the funeral off camera. Not even, no, but that. not even the funeral, but just no one acknowledges that, that this was part of what's happened in the investigation. Yeah. We ain't got time for that. No time for that. We're moving forward at a fast pace. So I love this lunch spot they go to with the stadium seats. It's kind of cool. And they're having beer. And, and this is when he lays on Vukovic this plan. And Jake, not a good plan. Ruth gives him a tip. Someone's coming into town with $50,000 to spend. Oh, now I remember. Now I remember. Yes. And this is he, where it really goes awry. He pitches Vukovic on something that is across so many lines, every line. They're going to intercede this person, steal the money so they can use it to pay Masters 30 k and get the deal in motion. But getting this is so illegal. And they only have this tip from Ruth that it's not even verified. Vukovic wants nothing to do with it, doesn't like it, and rightfully But he so, still I does it. Vukovic, like, he does not yeah. really put up much of a fight. 
He's questioning it, but yes. And before he goes along with it, no, I guess he does finally agree, obviously. But Chance goes to visit Ruth to really get more details on this because this is a big situation. I love that she works at a strip club, naturally. (laughs) She's an informant. She's on parole. She works at a strip club. And when he goes in, we have Wang Chung's dance hall days playing over the scene, which is kind of a nice touch. This is okay. This is a little bit of a deeper cut from Wang Chung. So at this point, I was I was a little yeah. tired of them, like maybe halfway through the movie. But I'm like, all right, this is a little, a different leaf that we're overturning in the catalog. Well, this song was a big hit. Yeah, because they're just, they had composed most of the music. This song was an actual bona fide hit. But this one's a little nice. more downbeat, right? It's a right. little more. Yeah. Because Wang Chung is very poppy, you know. Yeah, and the score is not that. It has fast pace to it. This is, I, I'm not going to say that's the probably the best song in the whole movie. I still like To Live and Die in L.A. a lot, but Dance All Days is a fave of mine, so yes. But anyway, Ruth breaks things down for chance, and it is basically the 11 Amtrak train leaving San Francisco at 7 a.m., arrived in Union Station at 4.25 p.m. She laid it out. That is the plan, and they're going to intercede this person and steal the money. And once again, which is how just this, crazy. Yeah. How does this get prosecuted in court? Like just no one a, knows. Mum's yeah, the walk, word, Jake. I think that's the point though, is like, and I kind of wish it got a little more into it is like chance is just off the deep end here. Like he has taken off the safety harness. Bateman He's would just suspend him for this. His boss, Bateman, would suspend him if he but got also any he wind would of this. never be able to realistically prosecute Masters at this point. Like, he more just has a vendetta against him and is just doing whatever he can and is truly desperate. Yeah, in his report, what would it be? Where did you get the 30K to pay Masters? Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. What would he say? Consequences, whatever. But this is just kind of foundational. It's a little bit like, I'm just wondering, like, in Chance's mind, how does he, does he even take a second to, like, think? Process Or it? just no. like, this is my plan. I'm going with it. He's reacting. Now we're at Union Station. The plan is in motion. And he pages Thomas Ling, played by Michael Chong. And when he goes up to the paging center, back in the day when you page people, he knew his mark. They tear out a Union Station. They've got the guy. They've got the briefcase. But they're not in the clear, Jake. Things are happening. People are chasing them. But who is chasing them? Because this begins the extended crazy car chase scene but there is just nonstop guys pulling up from this point on with machine guns that they're ready to shoot at them. But who are those guys? Are those FBI agents? Yes. Are those, those are master's federal, guys? They're federal agents because what Chance and Vukovic do not know right now is that Thomas Ling is an undercover agent. Okay, but so federal agents are going to be out there with machine guns at every turn shooting at them? They get a little out of control in this chase scene. I'd say a lot out of control, (laughs) but it plays so great. So they they think they have this mark and he was already a bad guy and they're going to take this money, use it and whatever. They don't know what they've stumbled into. 
And so they intercepted some big plan that had, people had worked on it forever. Agents, Ling is an agent. This big thing because Chance is so crazy and his little informant hottie on the side gave him a tip and then he's going into action. Yeah, insane. With so, a plan that literally has zero chance of success. Zero. 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 So it's amazing it continues to work. So it gives you more confidence. So he's got a briefcase. They pull off the freeway. You know, it kind of reminds me of the movie Drive. Like you're on these little freeways in like the arts district and downtown. And they pull off on the freeway underneath the overpass and doesn't have the key to open the briefcase. That is an amazing scene though. Because that's one take. I don't know how they did that. Because he's banging on it, banging on it, getting frustrated. Right. And then it opens kind of at the right time. But then the scene keeps going for another like 30 seconds after totally. that all same take. It was great. So, But the briefcase is empty. It's like a phone book and there's not the money. And they want him to strip. And then they're spotted. Well, he strips and he pulls out a money belt. And then he's telling him to take his pants off. Takes his pants off. And then the agents see them, right, from above. Because they pulled over on we the side. We just roll up with two like loaded M16s just ready to go. That, Insane. That was like, I was a little confused at that point because I was like, these guys are agents? Like, they're just shooting left and right and just, they're right. being crazy. Well, and as the audience, the first time I've watched it, you don't know what's going on here. I told you guys something. I told the audience something just now. If you don't know the movie, you don't know these are federal agents. You think this is like bad guys everywhere. At this yeah. point in time. And so Ling is down there. He's hit by one of the agents. He's shot, he's killed. And these guys are in trouble. They do have the money. And this time Chance jumps behind the wheel because. And now here we go. On he's not afraid to get them the heck out of the situation. And this becomes one of the greatest car chase scenes in cinema history. Would you put it in your top five or no? Oh, for sure. What about you? I mean, the one in French Connection is probably better, though, and more, more famous. It's different, and that's but Free same director. He, he, he had to go a different way. He don't have a subway. That's more iconic. And then Bullet. Bullet's got to be up there. You just asked me top five. Yes, it's in my top five. It's probably my top okay, three. Okay, what's your top five then? Well, I think you just named them. Those three. Bullet. <laughs> French Connection. French Connection. And To Live and Die. And I don't have them in any certain order. I just say it's in the top three. Okay. It is wild. The part when they're going the wrong way on the freeway. Oh my gosh. It is so dangerous. You can just <laughs> tell in the way they were filming it. And there's so many stunts that are practical. Same thing as French Connection where the stunt driver hits the gas a little too long, doesn't hit the brake, turns right, turns left. It's game over for somebody. So like we just talked about, there's a lot of guys with machine guns and they're all over the place. I mean, this thing goes into the LA River. But those River. guys are federal agents. I get it where it works for the scene and you're not clear what's happening. But where there's a literal unlimited supply of these guys. Like everywhere they turn, there's more guys driving up with machine guns. But yeah, he it's a crazy car chase. It goes on for a while. Oh. And then he gets basically cornered and there's like nine guys with machine guns. Yep. And he's like, ah, time to give up. He sees the do not enter wrong way sign here's my out and yeah he jumps on the freeway and i mean there's at least 10 or 15 scenes where two cars are driving like 40 50 miles an hour plus right at each other yeah and you know they both turn to the right side and everyone's okay but there's a lot of stuff also like french connection where the camera is in the car 
and you're like, wow, this is fucking dangerous. I like so how dangerous. Vukovic is in the back seat. <laughs> He's stuck back in the back seat, which would be a terrible place to be sitting during. This but that's kind thing. of a metaphor for the whole movie, right? Because Vukovic is now on a ride with Chance. He didn't dream up any of this stuff. He wasn't really on board with it, but he's kind of the partner that got second fiddle that got sucked into the whole ordeal. And now he really doesn't have much say anything, which is ironic when you come to the end of the film. Right. But we're not quite there yet. So we'll get to there in a minute. I like when they're going through the LA river and the bankments and it's like a yeah. video game. And these guys, and oh. you think he's clear, and then there's another guy shooting a machine gun. Like that is a that's a great sequence. Iconic. Yeah. And sequence. that's I mean, it's if you think Terminator 2 is an amazing LA River sequence, if you think Greece is an amazing LA sequence, watch this one, because it puts yeah. both of them to shame. And totally. this is after they already drove for like two miles the wrong way down the freeway. Right. Drive kind of did a tip of the cap because he goes and explores the LA river, but he has, he's not running from anybody, but he drives down there. I love when movies do that, but this is the one movie that up the stakes. I've never okay, seen well, this. Speaking, speaking of driving, I have my own trivia I prepared for you. Oh, please. Name the second unit stunt driving coordinator for this movie and what other movies he's worked on. Well, you've jumped way ahead to my trivia section. I know. I, this is my own trivia, so I wanted to... Uh... I believe it's uh, Yalman. Nope. What do you mean? No, the second unit stunt driving coordinator is... Well, the second unit camera op took over... Not second unit camera op, but there's a whole... In the, in the oh, credits, there's someone well, credited... That Yal Yalman actually took over and shot this sequence because the DP, who I mentioned earlier, wasn't sure how to do it. So if you're talking beneath him on the production line, I don't know. It would be Buddy Joe Hooker... Who was the lead driver stuntman for what movie? One of the best car chase movies ever. The whole movie is basically a car chase. The whole movie is basically a car chase? And it's one of your favorite directors. Hmm. It was part of a double feature. Came out about 12 years ago. Oh, Death Proof. Yeah. Same oh, guy. Wow. He oh, plays okay. the stunt driver for, what's his name? Who's the main actor in it? Stuntman Mike, Kurt Russell. Yeah, he plays Kurt Russell. He's like Kurt Russell's stuntman oh. driver in the movie. And that movie has the most insane stunts that are all practical. Yeah. And it's the same guy. That's really cool. No, I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I had to look that up because I was like, because there's also just a level of danger oh that you can tell gosh. most people are not really wanting to take on. Right. And that guy doesn't give a shit. Because if you watch Death Proof, you're like, okay, nobody died. I guess it was cool. But there's so many scenes in that movie where you can tell there's no CGI, there's no special effects. Right. And like someone's just hanging on to a car for dear life and we're filming it. And that's our movie. Friedkin, besides just having good cast, great crew. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the peak of the movie is that now all of a sudden chance is spiraling out of control and here is like literally one of the craziest car chases really the only one i can think of that's crazier is the one in french connection because that one right. is so fucking dangerous and like both of these leave it to freaking he's got a little bit of chance in him doesn't he maybe because yeah that's a, i mean that's the thing is you watch the movie at this point and like chance becomes full anti-hero like he has no chance of solving the case of winning anything in court 
the dude turns out to be a federal agent that got murdered like that you know they get into the later when he talks to the lawyer how he can get away with it and all this different stuff but they're starting to rack up bodies you know same way that the masters did yeah no that's a great point it's a great word he is an anti-hero in every way and he's above the law i mean it's a classic story of a police a law enforcement person taking the law into their own hands but like to such a degree that they literally a lot of times people take the law into their own hands but they get the job done like this is not that movie this is the other above the law where this guy has no idea what he's doing and really someone should put a stop to him well the feds do not stop him they get away chance outwits them his driving skills his survival instincts they get away i like when they park in this little discreet neighborhood and he's elated, and you look at Vukovic, and he's about to die. <laughs> like he just can't even believe what just happened. Well, I mean, even in Chance's mind, I get it that he's just on the high, and he's manic, and he doesn't care. But literally, like, 40-plus cars just crashed in this yeah. car chase. Yeah, you're out to get this guy, and you could have killed 100 innocent people. Yeah, he's kind of like, he killed the cop. That was not cool. But he kind of goes after criminals... And like counterfeits money, but is it really that bad? Like what's worth that? Or like 50 people almost being killed in a car chase and yeah. their cars being destroyed. When you take that view of it, yes, it's absurd what he just put LA through. Not to mention, this would be the most talked about thing on the news <laughs> ever. If there was any it footage It is completely of this. brushed under the rug. It's just like, ah, uh, yeah, that happened and moving on. I think that there's a manic energy to the direction of the movie and what he was doing. And so it's, and also once the movie picks up steam, it, there's no time to reflect on anything or think or, no. well, how would this work? Like, we're just on to the next more sensational stunt and action piece and whatever. We can't ever look back. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Even that scenes ends. And I thought that they were bad guys because I didn't realize who they were, exactly what they're doing. But there's like all these cars piled up and then there's these guys that get outside that are standing on top of the cars like waving their machine guns in the air. Right. And yeah, everyone's just supposed to say, hey, it's it's another day in LA. Like uh, what's coming up tomorrow? Chance gets out of the car. He already has a plan. He's kicking in the windows. Well, he was excited. He was so happy that the car didn't get too smashed up because then they could pretend like they weren't involved. Right, exactly. And they made it. So now we go to... Chance visits Ruth, and he's on top of the world. He's got 50K. She can't believe it. She can't believe that that plan came into being, and he's got the 50K. And I like Jake that, which is very topical now, but he comes in and he does a little MJ reference. He's like, Michael Jordan, he's a great player. But he's also bragging about this guy, Quentin Daly who used to shoot these 30-foot shots. And rest in peace, Quentin Daly. He's since passed on. But like Chance has been either... He's on this crazy manic high from what just happened. He's got the money. He's coming in talking basketball. Yeah. No, I, th I mean, I think that's also the compartmentalization thing with a lot of people like this. Right. And they get in these horrible situations. And like, yeah, if he took one second to think about the events of the last 24 hours and everything that he's created. He's responsible for pretty much all this. But yeah, I, I really like that scene because yeah, he's coming in and he's talking about basketball. It does take a very strange, very 80s turn where he kind of 
sexually assaults his girlfriend and then it just fades to black. Like I was going to say. That part was a little weird. And that was also just like, uh, what what are we trying to accomplish and show here? I mean, to me, that's when he went like full turn. He's almost the villain at this point. Like his partner wants nothing to do with what he's doing. He's gotten innocent people killed, innocent people put in danger. And now his girlfriend, he's just come home to, he's crazy. He's ranting and raving about stuff. And then she makes it very clear. She doesn't want to do anything with him. And classic 80s, he just kind of forces himself and then they cut away. So you don't really know what happened. Well, her reaction was pretty unique too, because she gave him this tip, but the way she was worried, she was like, I'm worried about this. So there was something else kind of going on. And you're right. Listen, he basically, for all intents and purposes, owns her. That's his informant. And he can dangle losing parole, put her back in jail. So what happened later? Well, we both know what happened later. (laughs) So... That's who it this guy turn out is. So good for old Chancey. That well, I mean, later, later, but I meant later that night. This is Chance. This is why he's at her house. He's he's a man that's on a mission. A mission of self destruction. Yes, he's on a mission. He's, of he's that's the thing. He's not really. He has no chance of getting Rick. He's in too deep. Which well, is I think another. he's. All, I think he has a chance to get Rick. The plan is crazy or not, it's coming together. I think in his mind, it still kind of works. I know earlier I said he'd have to explain the 30K if it came to being, but knowing he's Secret Service and knowing he's got friends in high places, unfortunately, he might be able to cover it up. Like this plan could still work. Well, they didn't kill them. And and listen, he doesn't know he's a federal agent just yet. Yeah, but they like went and got him to get money to do their own thing. Like he had nothing to do with what they were doing. Right. You need permission. You need warrants. You need a lot of things, a lot of people to sign off on that. He was just fully operating by whatever he thought was the best thing to do. True. So the next day, Bateman informs all the Secret Service that Ling was undercover, it was a sting operation, and they're seeking these two people. But they have no leads, Which no are plates. them? I'm trying to think. I was trying Which to think what other, what other movies have a cop in those classic scenes of what they're looking for that day, and it's them. I mean, I'm sure it's out there, but yeah, nothing sprang to mind. But it also, I mean, it was cool because then they knew that they didn't really know well, that much. You about could also that. see this is the first time that Chance had a reality check. I think he realized, oh my God, what? No, 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 no not at all. Because he goes outside, so. he goes outside afterwards and he's talking to Vukovic and he tells them they don't know about who they are. No, I think he felt the stress of the situation. He's not changing. He just felt like, oh my God, that happened. But whoo, we got away with it. We got to stay the course. I don't think he's going to go back and say anything, but you could tell oh, it no, hit no, him. absolutely. No, Vukovic, though, he's definitely Oh, he's terrified. Yes, yes. Terrified, ready to go. And so, yeah, they have an exchange and he's just like, stay the course. They don't know who they're looking for. They don't know it's us. They didn't get a good enough description. Those guys were too far away. You know, way before cell phones, way before a bunch of cameras, these guys were under the radar. Now Chance, without Vukovic, visits Masters, and there's Bianca and Serena, of course, and he pays Masters the 30K. So he's using the money from the heist to get things in motion with Masters. And I love Masters' line when he looks at the money. You're beautiful. That's so great. And Jake, my question to you is, 
Does Masters burn this 30K? No, this one's real. He's not going to burn real money. Yeah, exactly. Are things of real value? He's not burning the real 30K. Hey, if I'm doing a, a million dollar deal, I think I would ask for more money than 30K up front if I was Masters. I'm just saying. Reason, logic, level headed thinking, that's all way out the window at this yeah. point for everybody. You know, obviously, most of these deals go bad. I would have definitely asked for more. Okay, so now Vukovic, scared out of his mind, starts meeting with attorney Grimes again for advice on how to potentially turn on chance. Yeah, and this, you know, I thought this was a good scene, just kind of showed how lawyers fully within their legal rights can kind of play both sides and be this gray area of, you know, you can tell me about the crimes you commit, but because of attorney-client privilege, I can't tell anyone else type shit. And for 50K... So that was like, that was also a weird... He's very level-headed. The attorney is very conniving, very smart. Like, if you could combine him and Chance, you'd have a perfect cop. But Chance was just perfect all villain. adrenaline, all instinct, just fully out of control. But I kind of like that Vukovic, as mad as he is, doesn't want to rat. But he did get the steps laid out like, what would happen if I churned on him? You know, you go to jail for seven years, maybe you serve a year. A buddy cop movie? I mean, like what? Besides Training Day, they never like they never turn on each other, really. Yeah. That's a big no So he can't do that. And he wants to just see this thing out. But Vukovic is one foot in, one foot out. Like, this is just too much for him to deal with. So now Chance, again, alone, locates and apprehends Carl. So he's putting things together. He's got the 50K. He's paid Masters 30K. Oh, yeah, I got a parolee out here somewhere. Got to go by and do some detective work and scoop him up. <laughs> and sneaks in his place. Holds off his girlfriend. And now he gets the drop on John Turturro. Payback. That part was like a little silly where he's waiting in the kitchen. Turturro comes in and he has the gun like one foot away from him and they fight over it, but no one shoots it. And we'll let that pass because there's a lot going on at this point. But that scene is a little questionable where it's just- I call that tying up loose ends. Yes. It's a very tying up loose ends scene. Let's knock that out. So now Vukovic- calls Chase at Ruth's house and he's in a bar and he wants to give himself up, but he doesn't want to be a rat. So he's calling Chance to say, hey, I can't do this. Let's just give ourselves up. And what's he tell him? I don't remember the line, but I'm guessing it's no. No, but he just says, hey man, I saw Masters. We're still on. Like there's just <laughs> no, no pushing him off that point. And Vukovic is messed up and worked up and he's been drinking as distraught as he is he goes along with it well he's gone this far down the rabbit hole like yeah. his career is over it's hard to say though because in the movie world like maybe he still gets away with it and maybe he you know it's all forgotten and there's parts of the movie and there's elements that are very like film noir and you could almost say that his girlfriend that sets him up that provides the tip, that puts him in this whole situation, she's kind of the femme fatale that brings about his downfall. And so, you know, to me, this is also the interesting part of the movie where it's very clear cut. Like, Willem Dafoe is the bad guy. The cop is the good guy. Oh, he's a little crazy. Like, Dafoe, you never really see the human side of him. He's always pretty much bad right. through and through. 
But Chance really takes this fall where he's he's not a good guy. He's not even something you're really rooting for. Like his plan, you're not like, all right, man, like you can do this. You can pull this out. It's like, what are you doing? This is insanity. Although, Jake, I got to tell you, I'm still rooting for Chance and Vukovic. I was rooting for Vukovic, which is also why the ending is is so yeah. weird. Because I, to me, it just seemed like Vukovic was on for this ride that he didn't really sign up for. But then, oddly, he kind of takes the mantle. But can I just say, I know that we're it's easy to take shots at Chance because he's just he's a crazy wild man. But William Peterson is playing him great. I really think that he does a great job. I believe him completely. And yeah, and I mean, how many, how many, his whole persona. How many thousands of movies have we seen where the good guy is the good guy? Like, there's right. not a lot where the good guy is kind of a bad guy, and he kind of becomes a bad guy throughout the movie. And I don't even know if Freakin would say that about him. He probably called him the anti-hero. That was my takeaway. Was that this dude? I mean, I guess it's hard to really be on his side at the end. So now. Before Masters heads out to meet the guys, I like that he's got a little present for Bianca. He serves up Serena and that nice little seductive number. That crew is into some kinky stuff, Jake. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I was just a kid in the 80s, but uh, name any dance crew in the 80s that wasn't kinky. The New York City Breakers weren't kinky. They were great break dancers. That was breaking, though. We're talking about modern interpretive dance. Oh, all that's that, a, dude. A, all that was... That's uh, what those people seem like. They weren't painting their face. Like, I'd say 80% of those people in the dance troupe all had heavy face paint on. So, now, I know we've had timestamps throughout the movie, but the first one was December 20th. This one's kind of significant because this is the end of the movie. January 30th, 5.15 hours. So, it's early in the morning. But I like the fact that it's only been about 40 days, this whole thing. I don't know what even needed it, but Friedkin had it throughout the movie. So there it is. And Chance and Vukovic go to meet Masters and Jack at the gym for the exchange. And so it starts to go down. They go in the locker room. Locker 38 opens it up. There's the counterfeit money. Chance looks up and he steals Masters' line. You're beautiful. Although I think Master said it better. And again, I, I got a kick out of that moment. But now, Jake, their plan from here, in my opinion, pretty risky. Because the guns and the handcuffs are in the briefcase. And that's the same briefcase that they use, Vukovic uses to push Masters. So the plan is to push Masters. Chance grabs said briefcase, opens it to pull out a gun. There's just a lot of... Because they got frisked on the way in by Jack. I just thought, man, that is a wild plan to not have a plant somewhere. The, hopefully this works. But Chance has a gun on Jack. Vukovic is holding Masters. And then I guess right now they they switch guys, right? No, they're on the same ones. No, they switch. Do they switch? I thought they were on the same guys. Now, so and Chance then... is holding Jack at gunpoint. And Vukovic has No, Masters. Chance is holding... Masters at gunpoint. That, that, that comes up. Yeah, so he's holding Jack back with a gun. And so he's holding Jack back. And he tells Vukovic to get the cuffs, cuff Jack. And then he goes over to Masters and kind of roughs him up a little bit. And while Vukovic goes to get the cuffs, of course, Jack 
because this is his lay of the land. This is their place. He's got a shotgun in Locker 51, opens it up, turns, Masters goes to shoot him, and he does shoot him, but he also takes one where, Jake? In the face. In the face. More like the, the top of the face, head area. And that's a pretty graphic shot. Those effects are like, what? Yeah, no, there's a gaping hole. Which, obviously, whoever sold freaking on the effects is like, you want a gaping hole? I can give you one. I'll give you two gaping holes. One for oh. Jimmy, one for Chance. Unbelievable. But that, that scene was a mildly frustrating because I guess now that we've talked it out, it kind of makes sense. Like, they couldn't have any backup because they were totally going rogue and they couldn't have anybody. And they couldn't plant something in there like Jack They kind of had the upper hand. Like, they got him. They had it. And then Vukovic just kind of like looked away for a second. Well, he just went to grab the cuffs. He went to go grab the cuffs. But, I mean, just hold Jack longer. The transition happens so quick. I would have those two guys the same space. And one gun can hold them both. But it just was like fast beat. They didn't anticipate Jack having a shotgun hidden in a locker. They dropped their guard there. And then he did get a shot off. I'll give Chance credit to protect himself. But too little, too late. And then that leads Masters gives him time to flee. And Vukovic, if you thought he was freaked out earlier, this is terrible for him. <laughs> He's alive. He's not injured. But this is a mess. You got, I guess Jack dies. What would you say? I mean, he took a fatal blow. I think so. He doesn't matter. Live or die. Well, I'm just saying he, 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 looks, he looks down on him and Masters is out the front door. So Vukovic gets his bearings, if you will. He runs outside and nearly gets run over by Masters, who just tears off. Right? Remember that sequence? Mm-hmm. So now, listen, not to make light of it, game changer. You do not see this device in very many movies that you're... No, I was trying to think what other movies, especially at the end. Psycho did it where you're following someone along and then they're gone. So that movie blew me away, broke all the rules. Yeah, but at what point? Not it's early on. Not but, with but 10 it, minutes it's like to that go. first quarter, you're following Janet Lee's character. And yeah, like, yeah, oh, no, okay, first no. quarter. That's an example. I've never seen it this late, and it was shocking. Now, there is another movie which I'm super fond of called The Place Beyond the Pines. And I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, but it's fantastic. Nope. So I better not tell you, but it has a similar device in the movie, but not this late in the movie. And so, yeah, it's game changer. But to me, this is the interesting part, because especially where it goes from here is that, yeah, you never see the main character die, especially at the end. And then there was a weird dynamic that was building for at least the last 45 minutes where Vukovic is apprehensive. The voice of reason doesn't really agree with what Chance is doing. But then as soon as Chance gets killed, he kind of embodies chance and then especially with the end of the movie totally like all of a sudden it's almost like there has to be a chance character no matter what and it is chance for 90 percent of the movie and then the last five or ten percent all of a sudden vukovic is sort of put in the same role and starts acting the same way it's interesting because just that night just a few hours ago he was at the bar ready to get out of this whole thing and now He's seen Chance die. He was there to discover Jimmy's body. He's now just soaked all this up. And so I like this. When he nearly gets run over, he dives out of the way. 
But on this drive, Vukovic starts to think and transform and probably like, what do I do? Jakey's in too deep. If he tried to go put himself out there now, our wonderful attorney Grimes, he's not looking at the short sentence. The stakes are too high now. You've got another federal guy dead. So I think on that drive, so basically Vukovic goes looking for masters. And he also knew he had the drop on him because he remember that old studio he checked out. And when he goes in there, sure as anything, Masters is there burning everything like Masters likes to do, except this time with <laughs> clothes on. And so, yeah, Vukovic is really starting to, like you said, embody chance. Like, what would he do here? Goes there and then they get into a fight. You know, he's there to take down Masters once and for all. But of course, Masters hits him with something, knocks him out. He puts like Kinlan on him. Like, hey, he just assumes like <laughs> he's down for the count. Very weird. Yeah, let me just lay this on you. Surely Vukovic will just burn up in flames. But he doesn't, Jake. He arises from the ground the and fires away at him, shooting Masters, who then becomes a blaze of flames, right? Because Dude, he, that stuntman, that was like a inferno. <laughs> amazing i know they put on those suits and the gel and all this stuff but like you could barely see the person waving their arms around it's just a giant fireball i would venture to say this is the way masters wants to go out if there's any way you know yeah so when he was looking gazing into the fire while naked burning his beautiful money he was just uh having a vision of his future self burning as well like you said you can't look at the sun too long but this guy is fascinated by fire and there's no more fitting way to go out. I'm just shocked that he didn't take whatever money he had and split town. But I guess he was tying up his own loose ends and didn't think that Vukovic or anyone else knew where this place was. I think that's also the point of the movie is that these cops knew he was a bad guy. They got on his trail. They started going after him. And they were literally going to stop at nothing until they got him. Right. They were so focused, so driven. The laws, protocol, their own health and safety. All that goes out the window and they were just a dog with a bone yeah. going to see it out to the bitter end. But there was a moment that Masters thought he had bested Vukovic and he was going to light him on fire. So what happens if Vukovic is knocked out, can't get up, burns up? Where does Masters go? What's his plan? Set up shop somewhere else? What's driving him now? I guess he's got Bianca and he's got some money. And so he could just kind of go reinvent himself. I don't know. He can go start his art career because that's that's how the movie ends. Uh, yeah, maybe. Because Bianca, I mean, that's that's where it ends is that it's the sort of weird tacked on random girlfriend that survived it all that ends up getting all the money at the end because she, yeah, they think that his paintings were all burned up, but she kept them for herself and... Yeah, so that is the rest of that sequence. So no point in chatting about it because Masters is dead. Vukovic took him out. And yes, we're at the scene with our attorney friend, amazing Dean Stockwell. And Bianca is there. And they do have this weird exchange. There's the sex tape that he's watching going, you might want to take this with you. The house is cleared out. She's moving on and she's got Serena driving. So yeah, if anyone was the winner here, it was probably the attorney and Bianca and Serena. But then really the biggest unanswered questions of the movie, and I was curious to hear your take, but what the hell happens to Vukovic at the end of the so, movie? 
I said winners. So now let's talk about Vukovic. So he's taken chances, you know, mission in life, and he fulfilled it. And like you said, he really, that's a good way of putting it. He really embodied chance. And now is it far-fetched because he was just several hours ago ready to get out of this whole game. But wow, what a shift. What a cosmic shift for him to say, no, now I'm the guy. And so... He shows up at Ruth's house and she's like, yeah, I'm heading out of town because, you know, she knows that she didn't tell them something and he's got it figured out. Vukovic kind of put it together and said that you set us up, you set us up and I need that other 20 K that you kept. And she's trying to say that now, but I was owed some money and, you know, I got people too, and I owe bills. And he says, no, you're working for me now. And she looks at him and he is now chance. It's, it's an amazing shift. He is now chance. And she looks at him and Jake, she smiles. Like that's the role that she wants to be. She wants to be, I don't know, in this weird dynamic with someone being the informant. They'll look after her, keep her out of jail. I don't know. But, but does she want it though? Because that's the weird thing. Because you never, you never see Vukovic in any point in the movie looking up to Chance, wanting to be like him. He's kind of subservient and the second fiddle for sure, but he never really likes him too much or really wants to be like him. But then oddly, like going through all this traumatic shit in the movie, he just kind of morphs into him at the end. I find it hard to believe, but I've come to accept it because I'm so familiar with the film now and I kind of like that huge shift. No, I like it. No, it doesn't have to be totally believable. To me, that's the whole point of the movie. Like... A bad guy and some good cops, you know, like cutting some corners to get the bad guy. Like, there's nothing unique about that. We've seen that a million times. But yeah, just this weird, this weird descent that the cops go down. It's almost like they got to get sucked into this terrible mindset and way of being. And it sucks chance in first. And then once he gets wasted, like it just picks the next person. It's like this weird bad cop spirit thing that just like, you know. Yeah. Bad cop spirit thing is not as catchy of a title as to live and die in LA, but that, that could be the the secondary one. And I should point out before Ruth smiles, there's like a kind of an odd flashback with these scenes that she's remembering of chance him yeah. and her, him pulling up to her house. And I think that she just took all that in and it's like, Oh, I know this, this is familiar and smiles. And we're out. We're not out. Because then after the credits, there's one more shot of chance. I think that's just part of the flashback. I know there's some theories that say, oh, no, he never died and he's alive. It's like, no, that's just, I think. Uh, No, we saw him with a giant hole in his head. He's definitely dead. He was killed. And I think it's in her mind. And I think that some warm and fuzzies for this informant parolee who are now going to push those feelings onto Vukovic. It's like having a pimp. And I think some people feel... Oh, it's a very pimp line for sure. I think life is in balance for someone who is used to having a pimp and they don't have a pimp all of a sudden and she did try to out them and and set them up. But hey, life is much better when I got this guy in my life and here he is. He's, just, he's dead, but the new one just showed up and this I know. And I think that's her yep. take. Yeah. You know? And I think he's cool with it too. I think Vukovic is like, you know what? I know this. But what does he do? What is like in in the logic of the movie? Because obviously, rationally, it makes no sense what's happened. There's a huge body count trail. 
like within the well, he pins it all on chance within the mystique of the movie. What's the sequel that they never made? What happens to Vukovic? Assuming he can sidestep all of the craziness because all players are dead. So it's his word against theirs. Like, were you at that meeting with Chance? No, I was at well, the bar even, with these not guys. Not even like the specifics of how he gets away with it, but just what happens to him. He just becomes the new Chance. But maybe not to that degree. I don't know how far he is, how deep and dark he is. He might just be a guy that... You know, he's not quite as hardcore, <laughs> but he breaks some of the rules, but not hell-bent on getting killed. Maybe Vukovic's survival instincts are much higher. Obviously, they are. So maybe it's just a, he has a career now, and he can chase some more bad guys. But I wouldn't want to be Vukovic's partner. I'll just say that right now. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be Vukovic. So that's it. Loved it. Loved the groundbreaking storytelling, character development killing your lead, following a new thread. Really, William Friedkin, bravo. What a ride. What a ride. Now I got a little trivia and I'll share them with you and the audience really quickly. So because of the project's relatively low budget, William Friedkin decided not to cast established stars. And so Friedkin, being from Chicago, was familiar with fellow Chicagoan William Peterson's work. And after a script reading, he immediately offered Peterson the part of chance. Now, Peterson and John Pankow were longtime friends and had acted in many Chicago area projects, so he recommended him for the role of Vukovic. Freakin then ran a scene with Pankow and cast him on the spot. So, bam, got his two guys just like that. And Jake, I gotta say, great casting. They did have a good dynamic. There was never that like unsaid tension between the two of them. There's a lot of questions about the movie. Right. But that's never one of them. Exactly. They had great chemistry. And it would have been distracting to have a name in that spot. And I love the fact that everyone in this movie, not a no name, but they were like pre-stars. And I like that. But that's the weird part about watching it 30 whatever years later is you're like, what the hell is the guy from Mad About You doing like <laughs> running around in this movie? I didn't know he was such a badass. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Now, in Freakin's memoir... The Freakin' Connection, which, by the way, I read and is fabulous and well worth the time. He says that the fake money they made was so good, after some of it left the set, he eventually heard from the Secret Service and a U.S. attorney. After he avoided a confrontation with them, Freakin' states, when the film came out, there were news stories about people trying to make counterfeit money after seeing the step-by-step -step process in our film. I took some of the 20s. Those printed on both sides, of course. Put them in my wallet, and I spent them in restaurants, shoeshine parlors, and elsewhere. The money was that good. That is so hilarious. So some poor shoeshine guy like got arrested because William Freakin gave him a 20 bucks that he tried to then use at the, uh, the supermarket? Let's hope that that shoeshine guy did not get arrested. <laughs> Let's hope it just kept going down the road. But no, what it really uh, shows is that Freakin was very committed to a realistic, dangerous style of filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, so many things now are so fake and take pleasure in the fact that they're fake. Right. You know, he liked real car chases, real danger, and uh, apparently real counterfeiting as well. Yeah, and spent that money. So the car chase sequence, which we talked about a lot, of course, 
took six weeks to shoot. It was the last thing they shot so that if anything happened to one of the principal actors, the filmmakers would at least have the bulk of the movie completed without having to replace anybody. That makes sense. Six weeks, man. And they really stretched $6 million, I got to tell you. You couldn't show this to someone and say, I just need $6 million. I can pull this thing off. That's insane. And it was shot on film. I mean... They're all low budget, though. Wasn't Exorcist low budget? French Connection with low budget? Yes. French Connection was also the 70s. But yeah, it was. All right. Last one. The script originally called for Vukovic to die in the locker room shootout. At the very last minute, William Friedkin decided to change the story, having Chance die instead, and then have Vukovic take on some of Chance's characteristics, which we've talked about. The reasoning was that no one would ever expect the hero, even an anti-hero, to die before the climactic showdown. Now, totally agree. It was a shocker. But MGM was nervous about this and asked Friedkin to shoot a different ending. Frequent shot an alternate take of the locker room shootout in which Chance is hit in the stomach instead of the head. And he shot an alternate ending with Chance and Vukovic and they're transferred to a remote station outside Anchorage, Alaska. Oh and by the God. way, I've seen this scene on YouTube. It's insane. Well, it sounds like one of those scenes where they, they intentionally make it the worst thing ever so that they don't even have a choice of using it. Good point. Exactly. And freaking absolutely hated the ending and insisted on the original. Thank goodness. Could you imagine that being the ending? We would not be talking about it if that's what he did. I would be shaking my head. Just what a waste. <laughs> Thanks again, Jake, for joining me. It was a pleasure having you on and discussing this incredible movie together. And I will not be a podcast virgin anymore. So thanks so much for listening, and please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Let's Talk Movies, or check out our other shows at JustCuriousMedia.com. So without further ado, please enjoy To Live and Die in L.A.